views expressed in this podcast are the opinions of Life on the Ledge podcast and its guests. The content should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult your healthcare professional or your mental health care professional with questions. Your first memory of your anxiety is? Boy, uh, first memory of anxiety was definitely. This is gonna kind of go into like my childhood. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. As far back as you want to go. Okay, so first memory of anxiety was I was like a little kid. Um, my parents were arguing inside the kitchen about my dad's alcoholism um and I I remember just feeling super like scared so scared that I like went and hid behind the couch um I had to have been probably like five or six I think that's when we moved into that place but yeah so um I've pretty much been an anxious little kid uh, my whole life, I know one time uh, my mom picked me up from like preschool or kindergarten or something, and I think that was that was kind of my first time uh, really like conceptualizing that other people also feel anxious. Was mm-hmm. uh, I? Oh my god. He's just, can, can you hear him whining? I can hear him a little bit, but it's not that bad. Um, so, anyway, sorry. <laughs> the first time I remember, like, conceptualizing that other people were, like, worried or whatever um, and anxious was I was driving home with my mom, um, picked me up from school. I was like, we have two kids in our class who have the same name. But don't worry, because they have different last names. I remember that being, like, the thing that I, like, was, like, worried about myself. But then, like, I guess my mom was like, don't tell me to worry or to not worry. I'll worry if I want to. I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that means, but okay. Um, I've pretty much been an anxious, like, worried person. As far back as I can remember. And my mom and dad didn't make that any better because they were also very anxious people. Um, 
would you would you say they made you more anxious or they just uh i guess would you would you say they added to your anxiety or they just fed it um they definitely added to the anxiety um they were my mom a lot less so or my dad a lot less so my mom a lot more um she was very much always like worried and vocalizing her worries about every little thing mm-hmm. and that just you know fed into mine as well as like perpetuated other worries that i didn't know i had to worry about um for instance money was always an issue like i grew up very poor um my parents were not high on the totem pole at all with wealth um so I, from a, like a super young age, I've always been very much like, can we afford that? Is that okay? Can we get this? Like, um, so my mom was always like talking, complaining about how much, how little money we had and all that stuff. So. Okay. Yeah. How, how do you think it's affected you in your current relationship? Relationship? I mean, um, I've really learned how to like current relationship how like with my parents or like no i mean with your with your with your husband oh okay um i've really learned how to kind of control my anxiety um i mean i still have like bouts of it every now and then um i've had i've had plenty of panic attacks still uh but a lot of it um day to day i mean i've been therapy i've been um, just especially like through learning uh, in my degree or whatever, um, learning about the disorder in and of itself, like it really got me to kind of like help control it. So like my anxiety doesn't play a huge factor in my relationship as much as it does in my day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not like anxious or anything about Wayne or like about our relationship. Um, that's never really been an issue. Okay. I mean, how do you keep it out of your relationship? I don't know. I just, I guess I'm, uh, I'm really secure in it. Mm-hmm. I've always been really secure in my relationships and like, um, just really, I, I trust him. So like, I'm not, I've never had an issue with like relationships causing me anxiety because they've always been escaped from the anxiety of my like home life growing up and everything um and then yeah when with Lane like he's like my husband now and everything um we started out very open and very like communicative and that's been another thing is just being like having open and honest communication and understanding each other okay so would you would you say have you have you had more control over it as an adult than you were as a teenager or you've learned from the episodes you had? Um I'd say a little of both. Uh back when I was a teenager I had my own coping mechanisms, my own like kind of like avoidance, like uh ways to avoid the episodes and stuff. 
And yeah, so I've just, I've, and then I've learned how to deal with it as well. So like the anxiety level has been decreased for sure. I still have it. Um, but because I'm not in a lot of really anxious situations anymore, it's been a lot easier to kind of swell it mm-hmm. before it becomes a huge issue. Because I know, like, when I was younger, it would lead to panic attacks with me. Oh, yeah. And, or bouts of freaking out about a situation and taking the, even if it was like the burger, I ordered a burger and they had, you know, I didn't want tomatoes. And the frustration of that, you know, because you don't know how to control that anxiety. Right. And freaking out and, and then it becoming a whole panic attack issue. Right. Huge. Sorry, <laughs> that's been that's always been uh, a thing. Um, I've always been so like in that kind of like instance. Like, I guess I don't really have social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so when I'm out and about, like when I was out and about with my friends and stuff, um, with like ordering food or something they would have that kind of anxiety where it's just kind of like i need ketchup but i can't go up and ask for more ketchup mm-hmm. that just like kills me inside i would always be the person that'd be like i'll fucking do it i don't care <laughs> um i will be the strong one like <laughs> so um but for me more of the anxiety was definitely along the lines um of like existential Dread <laughs> and like just like my life right now is just anxiety provoking. Um, I'm in a very like bad place right now, so that really triggered a lot of um, a lot more of my panic attacks than like say having to make a phone call or right. something like that. So, so the the whole COVID thing is really anxiety provoking for you. Yeah. Oh yeah, because it's def- it's totally out of my control. Um, especially as someone who is immunocompromised, like I, I have to deal with one people blaming me for the pandemic and having to have like all these precautions or whatever. Um, and then I have to deal with I can't work, so I have to rely on the government. The government's not really doing much for me right now. Um, I, and I also have, like, I have, my landlords live downstairs, mm-hmm. and one of them is a heart transplant recipient. So, like, she's totally way more immunocompromised than I am. So it's, like, I also have to, like, worry about, like, me potentially bringing anything home if I'm, like, out shopping for food or something. Which, like, I don't even go shopping for food. I just pay for pickup and then, or like delivery or something. And then, yeah. So, COVID definitely skyrocketed my anxiety. Um, not to mention all of the rest of the stuff that happened alongside COVID. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, did I miss something? <laughs> What? No, I was like, did I miss something? What else happened outside of COVID? You know, with you know, are you referring to like the uh, the the protests and all that stuff? And yeah, like all of the like politics of the time, like all the protests. Like the president at the time was not 
helping at all. Um, yeah, just that kind of stuff. Um, has COVID made you look at people differently or see people differently in the, in the context of your overall uh, health? Um, it's definitely opened my eyes a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily make me see them differently, but definitely opened my eyes to the amount of people that just don't care. about getting the shot like I, I say I want to get it but then you know when I hear the news or somebody I'll t I hear somebody talk about it then my anxiety starts kicking up like I can't get it I'm gonna die um yeah no it's yeah that's a horrible horrible fear of mine too because like I always hear about the like uh side effects of the shot that a lot of people are going through and like people who have already had COVID and then they get the vaccine and then they're like, it felt like I had COVID again. I was like, okay, like <laughs> <laughs> what happens then to the people, you know, who would have died with COVID? Like, yeah, so it is, it's terrifying. Oh yeah, it is. Cause I, I mean, I think every week I've gone to, I'm going to get it, you know, screw this. I'm going to get it to, you know, I'm just, ball of play-doh in the corner like no you can't make me you know and people are like what are you afraid of needles no it's not needles i have thousands of tattoos it's not the needles that's scaring me it's the fear of you know i think i maybe i've watched too many apocalyptic movies i don't know um or or those movies didn't help with the anxiety i already had and i tell people no i'm not to the point where i'm ready to you know put aluminum foils on the window and then put plastic Right behind that, you know, I'm, I'm not that type of anxiety. I'm the right. type of anxiety of thinking, I've made it this many years of my life um, without, you know, a flu shot. Because when I get the flu shot, I get sick. And I, don't, I haven't had the flu in over six years, knock on wood. But at the same time, I think about this shot and I'm thinking, this may be the thing that gets me. Something I thought I was doing to protect myself. Yeah, and that's that's a totally valid like set of anxieties. It's like, yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it is um, the unknown and like having to like be the frontier, like kind of be anything, quote unquote. Um, like, I I understand <laughs> entirely. Right. Um, but now, you touched on something earlier that um, the relationships for you were an escape. How, what do you mean by that? So when I first, um, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of a weird person, 
uh, when it comes to that. So, like, I grew up in a very small town, and we didn't have a lot of options. And when I say small, I'm not talking, like, the cow small. I'm talking 875 people being cheated on in the relationship how did you deal with that
was stuck in a cycle of like go to school, pour myself into my studies, um, while still only really getting C's and C's mostly. Um, so like the teachers never really favored me, blah blah blah. So like whatever. Um, but like as soon as I would go home, my mom would start with whatever was on her mind that day. Whatever it was that was like my fault or like um I was also dealing with a lot of like my friends were going through really bad relationships at the time. Uh I won't go into specifics because I wanna like save like anxiety, not anxiety, identity and stuff. Like I'm, I don't wanna like oh, of course, of course, right. Um, so but one of them was very like stuck in a relationship uh and that that guy went to our school um and he was very antagonistic to say the least but he was very popular so he was able to get everyone else on his side um i had received death threats um i don't even want to like i don't even want to know the extent to what she went through, um, because a lot of it she just didn't tell us because she was scared and also kind of like she also had a pretty like bad family life as well. Um, but we tried to be there as best as we could. Like I stuck up for her um in class and everything, like whenever she would start being an asshole. Um so, like, that was a big part, and then, uh, my mom just wasn't supportive, mm-hmm. um, and I never saw my dad work shift, um, so, like, I would really only get to know him in the summer and all that stuff, uh, so that was actually another, uh, another time, like, for the first time that I really started thinking about like ending it. Like I was horribly depressed. My mom didn't believe me about anything. Um, I had like no support from my family. Um, I was very isolated. I lived in the country with no car. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot. Um, hard to really recount because I I tried to like kind of bury those feelings a little bit. Well, but. <laughs> no, because I've done the same. You know, I've done the same. I think in my first episode, I discussed um, my my I, I'm call, I call mine when I feel like going down the rabbit hole. You know, yeah. when you, you you get you get you 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 go there to hide, and then you get stuck down there. Yeah, and. Coming out of it is almost like you can't make me. You know, I know it's out there. Right. And I, you know, for me, I don't. You know, my first failed attempt of you know taking a whole lot of pills and it didn't work. And, I, and I'm like, I, I was a zombie for a week. And I'm thinking to myself, how much of I'm already in a rabbit hole of emotional, you know, dread, and right. I can't even do that right. Right. And then the fact that nobody knew, nobody asked, was I okay? Why are you so tired all the time? What's going on? You know, 
Was I on the football team, the swim team? Sure. I was, you know, I had a persona that was popular. And it was, it was so funny. My nickname had more, a more exciting life than I did. You know, nobody knew Jamie, but everybody knew Boz. Everybody knew Boz was this and that. Somebody started a rumor about me. I got even more popular. But, but then it's like, does anybody know me? Right. Um, Does anybody care that I'm, you know, I'm not doing well? And what I'm to ask if the, like, happy people are doing okay. No one, no one ever thinks that. No. And I think that's the hard, that, that was the hardest part for me to get out of that rabbit hole. You know, one day I just got him and was like, you know what? Apparently I'm not good at this, so I might as well stop trying. So I just stopped. The anxiety didn't go away, but, you know, the, the feelings of dread didn't go away. But I just, you know, pushed it in the closet and said, I'll deal with you later. And I think to myself, I feel like it was just a powder keg ready to go. As opposed to me dealing with it or asking for help. And, and I think that's what's most important about me doing this is like, I know there's, I know there's people like me out there who, who've had to deal with those rabbit holes of, you know, of, of upsetness, fear and not having control. So how did you get out of your rabbit hole? It it was hard. It was definitely hard. Um, It took years, honestly. Uh, I I had to basically do what you did and pretend that nothing was happening. Um, Kind of like a fake it till you make it type scenario. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I, what really helped was getting to go to therapy. Uh-huh. Um, I had been asking to go to therapy uh, since I was 13, um, and I didn't get to go to therapy until I started going to Kitch after okay. high school, community um, college or whatever. Um, and that's when I really realized how like, bad my mental state was. Because <laughs> uh, my therapist was just kind of like, uh, well, like, tell me about how, like, tell me about yourself. Like, give me your life story and stuff. And I would just, like, go into these, like, like, just like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Uh, I've had death threats. My mom hates me. Like, and I would just, like, kind of pour out all of the things, but then, like, just laugh about them. Because it, it was so absurd to me. Hearing um, it out loud. <laughs> yeah. And, like, kind of seeing their face just, like, contort, like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> like, as a therapist, you're not supposed to do that. Like, right. You're supposed to be neutral. Right. And, uh, I mean, she was in training. She was, like, uh, it was like a student counselor type thing, um, like for NIU or something. Uh, so, and it was, it was, I don't know, it really talking it out helped tremendously. Um, 
it gave me some tools on how to like relax and stuff and like different techniques that you can use because mm-hmm. that was an issue for me with not knowing how to relax like my shoulders were always tense i was always clenching my jaw um i was always bouncing my leg because i just had i think that might be undiagnosed ADHD, but like... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm starting to find it out myself. A couple people said I've had ADHD, and I'm like, fuck you, leave me alone. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, I've lived with it this long. Right. And... I made it this far. Fuck you. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, no, um, therapy definitely helps. Uh, just getting it out and kind of having an unbiased person to talk to and, like, kind of get their advice, like, talk through all of the things and kind of really delve into everything definitely uh, was the catalyst to climbing out of the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Um, gave me the tools to kind of practice at home and then wait for the next session to kind of do more with it. Right. Are you still use, using therapy techniques or therapy right now? Um, I would love to be in therapy right now. Uh, but no, I'm. I've been using techniques and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, I, my therapist actually, I, um, I was going to therapy like, like two years ago or something. Um, and then my therapist found another opportunity at a different clinic. Um, he gave me his card and everything, so like I could follow him if I want to. But right. at the time, I was like, Nah, I'm fine. And then the pandemic happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, something, geez, something always just happens, right? Something always just happens to add to your anxiety. <laughs> think you're finally like done with everything and you're like i'm a healthy individual and then bam right like a pie <laughs> in the face right right um because i know i had i had a therapist that i was gonna i had this stupid thought in my head at one time that i was going to see another therapist and then i started working with a bunch of therapists and i just saw how they acted behind the scenes really and it was just like fuck no you know i would never come and confide in you of my my anxieties and darkest issues and what have you because you people are chatty kathy's over here where's the the hipaa oh that's horrible and i just so i just thought to myself i was like if you guys are doing this you guys are more fucked up than i am and i know my screw my screwiness But just hearing them talk about some of these people was just like, what the really fuck? Right. So, I, you know, I went once and I, I, all I remember doing is crying for 45 minutes with this lady. Yeah. And I thought to myself, if me crying for 45 minutes is supposed to make me feel better every week, I can go to the bar, start, you know, do a shot with somebody, start crying, and people just buy me more drinks and come hug me. Aw, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, shit, that's better than doing this. Um, but then I think my breakthrough was when I went to college. Um, I t- you know, you have to, everybody has to take the psychology class, right? So I was like, okay, y'all don't want me in a psychology class. I'm damaged. I know my shit. Right. So now I get an A in psychology. One, I'm like, oh, now we're taking two. Well, you only need one. I'm like, well, fuck you. I want two. <laughs> so so I, after, three, after, three, after three and four, I was like, okay, you should be a psychologist. No, I shouldn't. I don't want to be a therapist. I'm, I know my damage. I'm, I'm comfortable with my square hold of a damage. Right. I don't need any, I don't want to hear everybody else's damage. But then I came to realize one thing to being damaged, you attract other damaged people. 
you get to, you know, I, I was joking around with somebody. It's like, shit, I have a hero complex. And that hero complex is me wanting to protect other people from their damage. Oh, yep. And I realized, like, that's helping me get through my shit because now I'm helping you get through yours. And then, you know, I've had ex-girlfriends says, why are these people always calling you, telling you about their problems? It's like, you know, I don't know. I know, you know, I do shave my head, so it's like, not like I'm trying to be Dr. Phil, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but it's kind of funny how I have more relationships with people that that's what we do. We talk about our shit. We talk about why we're going down the rabbit hole and why we're acting like it's a groundhog day for us to come out and somebody's pulling us out of it. And we're like, no, 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 I'm going back in. Um, but I, I think the, the, the happiest part for me is I think once I started verbalizing what my problems were from my past and how I've overcome them, I started to feel like it made, it made the rabbit hole, it was like somebody turned the light on in there and it wasn't an actual rabbit hole. It was just me shutting down on people because it was just easier to do. Understand totally agree. Like, uh, kind of going back to like the people coming to you for their problems and just kind of like using you as a shoulder to cry on type thing. Mm -hmm. um, that's what made me want to become a therapist. Like, that's why I went to school. Um, I was gonna try and do art therapy because, like, pretty much my entire life, I had been that person that just everyone went to the event and I was just sitting there like can anyone let me vent like, <laughs> right nobody wants to hear your shit let me unload on you right and like I was I was really um I was really good at it which sucks because it's like they all think that like obviously I had my own issues like my closest friends all knew that my home life was complete shit um so like they weren't like they were very understanding, but like my family, my my dad would complain to me about my mom and just ramble. My mom would complain to me about my dad endlessly, and along with a whole myriad of other things. Um, and like I just kind of got really interested in like the human psyche, um, and. It, yeah, and, like, I think the reason why people who are damaged attract other damaged people for, like, health and support and stuff is because they can kind of, like, innately sense that you have gone through it and you're open to, like, not necessarily, like, consensually open to hearing about their crap, but, like, we're not crap, that's insensitive. But <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you're not going to judge. Right, exactly, because they kind of, like, can sense that you're, you've been through it, too. Uh, and that's really what motivated me. So I was like, I, I wanted to become an art therapist for prisoners. <clears throat> like, I wanted to go into prison. The people that were completely left behind by society because they didn't get that. They were just kind of tossed in a hole and, like, left to their own devices. And it just, yeah, it just drove me, like, to really get into, like, like, like psychology and everything. Art, using art as a method. Um, 
I mean, it's funny, it's funny you say that because that's how I feel about those of us who have mental health issues of some sort. I feel like we were just, there's nothing wrong with you. Get up. There's nothing wrong with you. You know, I want to stay in bed all day and just sleep. There's nothing wrong with you. Get up. Um, there, you know, the people making it seem like you were just being lazy. Right. Um, so in that context, I do feel like we, you know, our issues were just thrown aside like we were just looking for attention. You know, there's nothing yeah. wrong with you. Right. So in that sense, it's funny you say it that way. You know, those who've been put to the side. And I think that's what our society does. We spend more time trying to make it seem like somebody has, they're lazy or they have this or that problem, but they never want to deal with the actual mental health of the issue. Yeah, mental health in our, in the United States is garbage. Like, it, it doesn't exist. And I think if we, if we all spent more time realizing, like, I ha I've, ha I've had a problem, I have a problem or there is a problem and put that on the table, I think we would all be better because then that, that way we'd all know how to get help. Yeah. No, I agree. I feel like mental health should be something that's fought alongside history right. or fought alongside, like, math. Like, if you, you have to live inside your brain for the rest of your life. Right. Why do we, like, push down that knowledge of the human brain and just act like it's not a thing. Like, just like we all have to make sure that we know how to, like, at least wash out a wound if you get, like, a cut or something, you have to put a Band-Aid on it. Same thing with mental health. Like, it's not, it's, just because we can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Exactly. And, and, I, and I think with that big, to add on to that, you know, if we can't, <laughs> if, what's that thing? It's your, your mental problem is only an issue if it goes against social norms. Yeah. So they're not, your school's not going to have a problem with you having an episode or a panic attack unless it goes against their social norm and it, it affects them. Now it's an issue. Now you got to see somebody. Um, but what's that? That's for my favorite saying. If God forbid you say we're, man, I feel like killing myself sometimes. You say that to the wrong group of people, you're in a 42 to 72 hour hold at the hospital. Yep. And there's nothing you can say. I was just joking. No, maybe you weren't. Maybe you're stressed about COVID. Tell me about your life. I'm like, wait a minute. And there's no way you can get out of that. So it's, it's funny. I had, when I started my episode, I, I started saying, I am okay. I'm fine. Nobody's, you know, I'm not hearing voices. I'm not, um, I don't want to kill myself, you know, because I, I think to myself, people who hear this may think, oh, he's having an episode or he's having a problem. Like, no, I'm not. I think I'm, I have more clarity than I've ever had in my life because I understand what I've gone through. Right. And I think a, a lot more people, once they start to understand their issues, whether it was abuse, in childhood or um, or drug use, like I didn't, I didn't use drugs to help me cope. Like some yeah. people, like some people I know have. Right. Um, I've used drugs just for recreational purposes, but I've never for a coping mechanism. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had to deal with that, like an issue with drugs and alcohol to help you cope? Yeah, 
no. Um, I mean, I've become inadvertently dependent on them, not for like the effect that it has, but just because it was around. Uh-huh. Um, never alcohol, though. Alcohol, I was always really uh, cautious with alcohol. Um, like I said at the beginning, my dad was an alcoholic, my whole family, my extended family, everyone just had an issue with like alcohol. Um, and I grew up just seeing that and really being super cautious, um, learning as much as I can about it. So um, I think that really that really helped to keep me from falling down that rabbit hole. Okay. Uh, one thing I did do, though, was um, I no one ever really thinks about this as like a drug. Right. I smoked cigarettes for like two or three months. Um, I smoked them like every now and then just because I liked the like smell of them. My dad was a smoker and that was just kind of like a like a comfort thing for me. Okay. Um, and then my uncle passed away and I've always had a really like like weirdly close but like arm's length relationship with them like he's always been this like enigma of my family and i always looked up to him um and so when he passed i uh i had already been like smoking cigarettes now every now and then but after that it kind of like it became that little crutch for me um i was really lucky to be to not get addicted to them okay i was like these don't taste good anymore and then i just didn't smoke them um I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I understand because I've done it myself, you know, when I was married, um, I would smoke cigarettes because I thought it would help me get rid of the stress. Yeah, everyone always, like, makes them out to be this, like, I need them to calm down. And, like, maybe that works for them, but it just never did for me. Yeah, I, I don't think I ever learned how to smoke them. I think I just wasted money and took a deep breath here and there and was like, okay. But every other time I would take the wrong breath, I'm choking and gagging like, okay, I'm not doing this right. Maybe this is yet one more thing I'm not good at. Right. Right. So it was like, walk away from the uh, cigarette. You do not know what you're doing. Um, and I think that's why marijuana never really did anything for me because I always felt like, well, this is just going to make me tired. Or my personal favorite, I already have a problem with thinking too much. <laughs> now I'm taking a drug that's taking my anxiety, sprinkling, yeah. you know, like paranoia. paranoia, and now <laughs> I'm freaking out. Are they talking about yeah. me? Am I not good enough? Um, you know, I, I, may, I need to do this to fix myself because they, they don't like me, you know. And I kept thinking to myself, no, we don't want to do this. Not this drug. I have enough paranoia thanks to these drug, for that drug, so I don't need any more. But cigarettes, I think, helped me calm down. But then I was like, I don't really want a cigarette. Right. It just didn't do it for me. Then I realized it wasn't the cigarette. I was using the cigarettes as a coping. Like, it could have been candy. And, right. I, you know, it could have been, it could have been, uh, some people it's working out. Some people it's 
it's going jogging or going to the gym or, you know, smoking. You know, I don't, I'm not downing the people who smoke cigarettes. More power to them if that's their thing. But for me, it just didn't stick to me. And I think pre-COVID, of course, I think I have pushed myself into my photography more because it was my outlet. It, yeah. was, it was my, my get rid of my anxiety. You know, you know if, if there was something, you know, whether it was me getting half naked and getting in front of the camera, fuck it, I don't care. Because that, that's me telling my anxiety, you're in front of my crosshairs and I'm going to take you out. Um, no, totally, totally understand that. Um, same thing with like, like my own art and like learning photography, um, the music and stuff like that. Like it, that was actually that was a big thing for me when I was in high school. Um, and kind of going through all of that, like the worst time in my life. I would just go in my room close the door, like, for the rest of the day. Like, I'd just get home from school, wait till my parents got home because I had to watch my brother. Um, and then just as soon as everyone got home, I'd lock myself in my room and just draw or paint or do something um, just because that was the only thing. Or, like, reading. I loved to read because um, that was another, just another escape that I could get to and kind of put myself in a different situation than the one I was in. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what like made me think about like doing art therapy was just because I was using it as like my own therapy when I couldn't get therapy. Right. Um, so I was like, why don't I just try and help other people and do that too? Um, that hasn't panned out yet, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I totally get um, using photography as your coping mechanism because it's, it's something that you can focus on and draw your focal point away right. from what you're currently thinking. And, and if it is ADHD, me me putting all my mental capacities into it is taking me away from you know shiny objects, making me forget what I'm trying to do over here. Yeah, you can you can really hyper focus. Yeah. Uh, that's something that I've been doing a lot too um recently I've had a position stuff. Um and when I get that drive to complete some of this like as much as I can, like I'm just sitting there like yeah, this line, right? Can I do this? What if I did this? And like I would just hyper focus for like hours at a time. Right. Not realizing that I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I ha- I have that problem sometimes too. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the funny thing about art in itself, I came to the realization that art is, I probably have more anxiety because of my photography than I've ever had in my life. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Because then I'm like, I I look at the picture, you know, in my mind, I know how it looks. It's like in my mind, I shut, everything is shut off. Everything is black around me. But when I envision the picture... I see it. I see how I want it to look. I see the angle I want it to be. But somehow, in real life, I'm struggling to make that those two things. It's hard. It's so hard to translate that. No, yes. I totally get what you're saying. Oh, it, it's it, so hard. Yes. Like today, like for Valentine's, I want to do the um, Mac Miller Miller Mac. I don't know what the fuck this guy's name is, 
he had this picture of him sitting at a table naked, red background. I went out and bought this red heart from the dollar store, you know, all these little props. And I was going to re- do this picture, but I wanted to do it from what I saw in my head. The problem is, I'm like, no, I need a second photographer because I know how I want this to look. But then I had all these additional things I kept adding to it. Like, okay, I need to be seen from this focal length. I need to be seen this way. It has to have this much clarity. I can't shoot it in JPEG. I have to shoot it in RAW. And I just kept thinking, telling myself, no, stop. You're not doing the picture because you're, do- you're, you're making it a bigger production than it, it's, it's supposed to be. It was just supposed to be a picture of me sitting at a table, you know, placing the, you know, the, the happy Valentine's Day below the table. And I, I had everything planned out. I put every, all the lights in place and I knew how I wanted to light it. But once again, in my mind, it was like, oh, you need this, you need this. We got to order, we got to order this. And I'm like, okay, time out. The anxiety's taking over. Or my personal favorite, I, I was telling somebody this the other day, all the accolades that I've gotten caused me more anxiety. Really? Being published in a magazine, now I'm feeling really uncomfortable because people are praising me and I'm like, I don't want you to. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get that. I get that. You're like, it's like a, a weird, like, how do I put it? It's, it's like you're dealing with, like, you're trying to, like, look at the, the thing that you created, okay? Versus the thing that's in your mind. And they don't match. They right. almost match. Um, so, like, when people praise the thing that you created, you're like, but it doesn't match. It's not good. Right. Like, and, like, people will think that, oh, you're just being humble. Or, like, no, you're humble bragging or something like that. It's like, no, I really hate this. So, right. but like, for some reason, everyone loves it. So, I guess I'll keep doing it. And, like, it's fun creating. It's anxiety-provoking, obviously, because right. it's not matching what you have in your mind. But, like, I think, yeah, I think that's, like, the biggest thing is, like, I love creating, um, and I love watching other people create. Um, I just don't want to be perceived as a human. Like, I don't want, to, I don't want anyone to see me, right. like, doing the thing. If you want to, like, look at my art on a wall somewhere, cool. As long as you've never seen me as a person, <laughs> I don't have to worry about what you're thinking. Like, <laughs> exactly. So like, okay. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was just chosen to do this uh, uh, exhibit in uh, London. And my first thought was, are you good enough? Why are these people asking me? I'm not good enough. You know, there's like 60,000 other people that might be better than me. Take their stuff. Yeah, it's like a weird, it's like a weird pitfall because on the one hand, everyone sees your work and they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. We have to find the artist. And then the artist is just like, well, it's not good though. Right. I don't think that I'm worth it because we have like I said, we have that disconnect between what our brain wants versus what everyone sees. Right. Um, and it, it kind of forces you to 
accept that you are a good photographer or you are a good musician or you are a good artist. It forces you to like look at it from their perspective and a lot of the time you don't want to do that because right. you're not for them. You know, you're doing it for yourself. So if you're not hope, uh, if you're not happy, you're not happy with what you've created because it doesn't match, you're like, okay, well, I I guess people like what I put out. Um but I don't like it, so like well, they must be making fun of me or something. Right. I start to think about all the, you know, the painters and stuff like that who wind up killing themselves, uh, you know, at the height of their, um, uh, uh, you know, I start to think about them at the height of their success. This is sex was too much for them to deal with. And I start to wonder, you know, if mental health was was an issue, would they have needed help? You know, because I know I can't be the first one to feel that way. You know, I can't be the first artist, you know, to feel like the praise is is great, but I don't want to see it. Right. You know, or I had always believed like when I die, whatever I die of, my you know, whatever I've done art-wise will be, you know, profound. Right. You know, somebody will find my hard drives and publish a book of my things and it will be all famous and great, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know if I wanted people to appreciate me now. And I tell a lot of people, you know, with today's social media, I don't think a lot of those artists who died during their their greatest era would have made it with the, the social media we have now. Oh, everything is so analyzed and compared to everything else that, like, you are almost, like, you're, you're scared. You're scared to put anything out. And those people that were already, like, back in, like, the Renaissance or whatever, for example, if they had to see, like, potentially millions of people online talking about their work and, like, seeing them praise it or seeing them, like, would criticize it or whatever, whatever they're talking about, sharing it, comparing it to other masters at the time, I I don't I think they would have like I don't think a lot of them would have continued honestly. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, just just thinking about that, you know, it's just like wow. Being being a person who understands their damage, being a person who tries to clear their head with the artistry that they they choose, and it's like the only thing you're doing is making another bag of anxiety or or feelings of, of being inadequate as opposed that like extra bit of things that could be worried about right that might start out as a way for you to relieve some of the anxiety it just adds more and fans the flame later right now do you feel us having the anxiety issues that we have it's a support system issue like if we had like people who supported supported our damage, um, people who can, you know who instead of coming to us unloading their baggage and giving it us to us to carry for them, because that's my biggest problem. I know if somebody gives me their damage and it's something that's hurting them, 
Now I'm carrying it for yeah. them. But then I think to myself, if I had that person in my life that I would just unload, what, what, what I feel destroys me, would that make me better or just give me a place to run to? Another place to run to and hide, I guess. Yeah, so I see what you're saying. Um, I, I do think that in the short term, uh, if, we had, if we had those people that we could go and run to, and I mean, I did. I didn't, I'm not saying that I didn't have, like, I wasn't in your position, right. I guess, um, when you were in high school um, as, like, a popular person. I was not popular. Um, so my friends saw me for who I was. Um, so I was able to, like, unload a lot of what was happening. I think the main issue is not knowing how to unload. Right. Um, I think that is more of the issue at hand than, um, I mean, obviously, if you don't have anyone to talk to, then, yeah, you're stuck in your head. You're forced to keep up this persona um, of, like, a happy-go-lucky person. Oh, I'm super successful. Uh, while in your mind, you're like battling, like battling yourself. Um, I think that if people did have those that support system in place that they could go to, I think in the short term, it definitely would have helped. Mm-hmm. Um, but the real issue is. Being able to, or I guess knowing how to hopefully, hopefully uh, release that and like work with it. Because you can vent all day and still have the problem. Right. Um, So I don't know. It's a hard, it's a hard question to answer for sure. Um, I mean, but I definitely think that everyone deserves someone to talk to. Right. Um, because I feel like if you don't have that, that communication, that, that, that honesty that you can put your truth on a table, it makes you feel isolated. Yeah. Yeah. And that isolation is what leads to what I like to call, you know, you know, I used to hate hearing this phrase that, you know, he had a lot of demons. Like, no, he didn't have a lot of demons. He just didn't have anybody to unload the stresses and the anxieties that he had onto anybody. So he had to carry all that with him in his head. So, so when I hear those stories, you know, I hear somebody say, you know, oh, Bob had a lot of demons. No, Bob didn't. Bob just didn't have anybody to talk to. He didn't have anybody to give that stress to who could help him through whatever he was going through. Yeah. And uh, another thing is like, People in, like, older generations just straight up ignored mental health. Right. Um, so the socialization of, um, like, our society in and of itself is anti-mental health. Um, but, yeah, I think people just didn't, yeah, they didn't have the tools in their toolbox to like unscrew the lid to their emotional baggage. Right. Um to kind of like pour it 
about all they had was like a one-way funnel. And then that jar eventually explodes. And then Bob goes off and like shoots up a Walmart or something. Right. And see, and that always aggravates me when I hear a story like that. You want to know, now you want to know, oh, he, he was posting about it on social media or he was telling people how frustrated he is. Nobody did anything. Well, that's not worry about why Bob did it. That's why worry about why Bob didn't get the help he needed. And I think that's more of the issue for me. It's like, I think we, there's so many of us that have the issues that, you know, we know somebody has a true problem, but we're not trying to help that person. We just go, oh, well, and, you know, go about our own individual issues. But then when somebody like that goes out and does something that hurts a lot of people, then it's an issue. Um, I remember uh, the story about this girl who she broke up with her boyfriend and she had already had mental issues and she got in her car and was driving down. uh, I don't know what street that was. It was a big story back, you know, maybe about six or seven years ago. And she killed four guys in the car who were just going out for lunch. And she survived. Well, so the thing that that killed me was she survived, but she wanted to kill herself that day. But in doing so, she killed four of the guys who were just going to lunch. And I keep thinking to myself, if all these people who knew that girl knew she had a problem, why nobody tried to help her? You know, I don't want to sit there and blame the boyfriend and say, well... You broke up with her, and it's your fault for hurting her. But she she was problematic before that. And whether it was the boyfriend, whether it was her parents, whether it was her friends, nobody thought to get her the help she needed. I think that's a big issue for sure, is that, like, a lot of people just also don't accept that they have the issues and they need help with that. Right. Um, because... Again, our society just doesn't think that mental health is an issue. Um, they think it's embarrassing. They think that, like, if you can't handle it, I handled my own, like, issues. Yeah, well, you're an alcoholic. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, you, I don't know. I don't have another example. But, yeah, anyway, like, I don't know. I think that um, it's... It just goes back to why I think we all need to take, like, mental health courses all throughout, like, elementary school through high school so that we know how to talk about things and we know when we need to get help. Because most of the time, the people that need the help the most just don't seek it out because they're embarrassed to. Right. We, we normalize it. Yeah. You know, much like we, like, like I jokingly say, we normalize sexuality in our country. Maybe not as much as Europe, but we, right. you know, <laughs> where they're showing full nudity on TV, but we've normalized it enough that some girl on Instagram or social media half naked taking pictures of herself, that's okay. Right. We've normalized her sexualizing herself, but we, you know, we've normalized people not knowing how to, um, having any financial education. We, we you know, we've normalized racism. We've normalized all these things, but mental health is one of those things we don't talk about. Right. Until something happens. Yeah. Until somebody needs help that it's too late now, we can have the discussion. Right. Um, you know... Not that we don't 
uh, openly talk about that I think obviously should. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, well, Shannon, thank you for you know coming out and talking with me on on your your story. Um, and I appreciate you, you know, giving of yourself because it takes a lot for someone to come out and speak about themselves and how they've dealt with their anxiety and, and mental health issues and how they've overcome. So thank you so much for that. More power to you. Right. I'll keep doing it because I, I want to help people. Like, that's what I want to do. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can email us at lifeontheledgepodcast at yahoo.com. Give us a call or text at 872-703-8500. Don't forget to hit the like button to subscribe. Give us a rating. Show us you appreciate what we're doing. Don't forget, you can follow us on social media uh, at Life on the Ledge Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. It's soon to be Snapchat and Twitter. Take care. 